2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and narco-capitalist perspective. Tonight, we're going to go way back, way, way back, 50 years back, in fact, to the Planet of the Apes on episode 80 of the show, actualanarchy.com slash 80. That's 8-0. And speaking of 80, reminds rhymes with lady, so let's introduce my co-host, Robert. How you doing, sir? You son of a bitch. I'm doing large and in charge. I'm loving life, feeling good. I'm all pumped for um, some some hairy man ape action. So let's do this. Indeed, indeed. And uh, any any news before we get into the last nighters portion of the show? Anything cool going on for the actual anarchy kids? Mm, I don't know. What, what what do you want to clue them in on? I don't know. It's starting to get freaking hot out here, and uh, I've been invited to an ultimate frisbee game where i met the guy and he was like oh yeah i broke i broke three ribs doing it last time i was there but you should definitely come i'm like you're not really doing a good job selling it to me yeah yeah good luck with that uh uh the whole go and try to be a young man when you're an old man with no health insurance play a game that you've never really played and get injured that's a fun fun thing i think you should try that you know life's a risk daniel you gotta take it by the horns and then you you know and then you limp and cry in pain afterwards and you wish that you had never tried it before you learn lessons. That's what I'm trying to say. You learn lessons. So is the audio good for you right now? Yeah, it's crisp and clear. So this is the best you've ever heard it, and you can hear all my mouth noises and all of that? Um, yesterday I was hearing a bunch of mouth noises. It was in any, any like rustling you've done, but that was the first time. Okay, well. First time I've ever heard that. I'm trying to keep it cool. It almost sounds like you're some sort of an AI program. Oh, really? Yeah, because there's um, if you've ever had a phone call with one of those AIs, there's always a, a pause after you've asked them a question. <laughs> and then there's like this canned response. That's oh, really? literally how I talk. Yeah, it's exactly how you talk. And so since your voice is so crisp and clean right now, it's like I'm talking with Siri, a male version of Siri. What if or, I identify whatever, as a non-male version of Siri or Alexa? I'm going to call you Alex or Sir. Sir Alex. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'm glad that you asked that, Robert. The weather will be. 68 degrees and sunny this evening. You should wear a light jacket to stay warm. <sighs> yeah. So there's a podcast that I listened to the other day on what? this anchor.fm. And it's just to, you know, scope out the competition, see what else is out there. And these guys are called Fast Food Film Friends. Four F F F F F F. Sort of like in Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. The fourth firework fades on the fourth or something like that final firework fades on the fourth that's it then the mystical powers of the amulet will no no longer function and frosty will melt and his whole family listen man i don't i don't have kids so i don't know i don't get all your like I, that's why i'm explaining it anyway okay. <clears throat> these guys have done six episodes and what they do is they go to some local fast food place and get their latest you know special and then they eat it and talk about how good it is and what they think of it. And they talk about a movie. So there's all sorts of mouth noises in the beginning. Like the first 20 minutes is like them talking about, oh, this Chipotle, blah, blah, blah. They're extra spicy. Oh, there's extra tomatoes on yours. Oh, mine has like this two pickles instead of three. Mouth noise, mouth noise, mouth noise. And then they start talking about a movie. Now That sounds like a nightmare. It's half nightmare, half good. Like the guys are actually pretty funny. And I listened to their solo episode and it made me want to do a solo episode. And I don't mean just me. I mean the movie solo. 
Have you seen Solo? No, but after having listened to them and you having seen it, I think that we could do it. <laughs> oh, I could definitely rant for quite a while about Solo. Although, unfortunately, I've seen quite a bit of Solo discussion, and I think my a lot of my opinions line up with a lot of stuff that's already been said. But I'm sure we'd come up with a few things that would be new and fresh. Well, it doesn't need to be like totally new to the world. It just needs to be our version, our take. Indeed. But yeah, the mouth noise thing, it's its a little off-putting. But there are a shit ton of movie analysis shows. I will tell you this. That doesn't surprise me. But none of them are, you know, like fucking motherfucking anarchists like us. So there's our niche. It's our niche for the 0.02% of people in the world. Yeah. That's all we need, baby. <laughs> as long as every single one of them... <laughs> listens we'll we'll be all right that's right that is correct all right so what else uh what are we going to do after this is it incredibles time already i think it comes out on the what i send you i sent you a thing it said like the 17th um either that or jurassic world uh, that's coming out also i think this week oh no shit okay well we're gonna probably do them back to back then uh june 15 and let me look up jurassic world or whatever the new jurassic park is called jurassic apocalypse now, this is with Star-Lord? Yeah. Uh, 21st. 21st. Okay. You got a little bit of time then. You can do Incredibles then, Jurassic Parks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it says the 22nd, actually. So, what is it? Midnight? Technically the 21st? I don't know. Something like that. Anyway. Yeah. So, let's do Incredibles and then Jurassic World. Or should we do Jurassic Park, the OG, with Dr. Grant and all that? Well, the Jurassic Park original is going to be a better movie, but we could do the Jurassic World, which was not a very good movie. I mean, I could watch both, and then we could, similar to what we plan to do here, is mostly talk about one, but then make reference to the others. Sure, if you want. If you get the time to watch on both movies. Yeah, you know, and I could probably watch Jurassic Park with the kids, because they are way into dinos now. I don't know. The original Jurassic Park might have a couple of scary moments with those raptors <laughs> chasing after those kids. Yeah, and the T-Rex in the Jeep upside down. Yeah, oh yeah, that's some scary shit. Yeah, I remember being a little jarring. Yeah, maybe maybe we won't watch that one. <laughs> With the kids. I mean, that came out in 93, so we were, you know, of age to watch it, but I don't think your kids are yet. No, yeah, definitely not. The little niñitos, or whatever we butcher the Spanish and call them. Good stuff. Mm. Great oldies. All right, so what are you... This is weird. This is so weird. What, that you can hear me? Well, it's just so crisp and clean. It's all, it's like, it's like being in a hospital. It's like anesthetic. Well, like a clean hospital, if one existed. Yeah, you're, you're way more likely to die in the hospital than even on the way to the hospital, and you're more likely to die in on the way to the hospital than you are from a fucking terrorist attack or shark attack or um, a criminal with a firearm. Well, the traditionally thought of criminal with a firearm. You're actually eight times more likely to be killed by a criminal who's not thought of as a criminal with a firearm. What? Am I making any sense? No. Average citizen, average criminal shoots people. Like you're at risk of that, like a certain amount, right? Everything it has a little bit of risk. But the yeah. risk of being shot by a cop is eight times greater to the average person than an average person shooting an average person. Do you know what I'm saying? Now I can now I completely understand what you're saying. Yes. I don't think you phrased it just quite that well before, but now you have done a good job and I understand. <laughs> I will take that feedback to my masters and we will reprogram <laughs> me. Reprogram you. So that in the future you can interface with humans more effectively. More better. <laughs> Is it always it's always like this. I know. I know. I I don't even think of it this way. I think that I just pause and reflect for a beat that most people don't for whatever reason, and it uh, stands out. Well, all right. Well, this is top quality content right here. So why don't we get into the normie version of the show? Okay. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, the Last Nighters, and we are going to talk about Planet of the Apes tonight. You can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 23. And let's say hello to Robert for a moment before we get into the Google description and then start talking about Planet of the Apes. And I think we're going to mostly focus on the original from 50 years ago, but we're probably not going to go back to this well, so we can talk about any of the other ones in the series as well. But how you doing, Robert? And then we'll get into the show. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode. Yeah, I'm doing great. Let's let's get into this. All right. So here we go. 1968, Planet of the Apes, thriller, cult film, hour and 55 minutes, eight out of 10 on the IMDb, 89% Rotten Tomatoes, 79% Metacritic, 
and 86% of the Google users like it. The description reads as thus, Complex sociological themes run through this science fiction classic about three astronauts marooned on a futuristic planet where apes rule and humans drool, I mean, are slaves. The stunned trio discovers that these highly intellectual simians can both walk upright and talk. They have been established, they have even established a class system and a political structure. The astronauts suddenly find themselves a part of a devalued species trapped and imprisoned by the apes. Came out March 27, 1968. Directors Franklin J. Schaffner and uh, Rod Serling was one of the screenplay persons. And it, of course, stars out of my cold, dead hands, Charlton Chuck Heston. Yeah, boy, does this movie ever beat you over the head with its sociological themes. This is the most thinly veiled argument for man as brutal, racist, just man as beast, cruel, that kind of thing. It's uh, written all throughout this script, and it's not even the slightest bit veiled. Most of it, especially towards the end, is just a big, long diatribe about how how terrible humankind is. But yeah, it's uh, it's fun. It's a fun movie. Um, you know, it's made back in 1968. This movie actually won an award, an Academy Award for makeup. And I would say that the makeup is, is pretty damn good. Um, but in terms of like other special effects, it's all very kind of lost in space, hokey style stuff. But it's got its own kind of charm to it. Like I completely forgive it as a modern viewer because I'm there for the story. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, the Damn Dirty Apes, it's a pretty good story. And there are, I mean, Chuck Heston's out there philosophizing, right? Time bends and does man still make war against his brother? Meanwhile, he's smoking in the spacecraft, which I think would be a problem in a spacecraft. I don't think that would work very well. It's not a problem if you're a boss like Chuck Heston is. The man, he goes on a one-way mission to outer space, and the man knows enough and well enough to pack a whole bunch of cigars because he knows he's going to just be chewing on those things for the rest of the movie. The man's a beast. I did like his devil-may-care attitude. He's like, uh, I've got, we've got three days of rations, or he calls them groceries, so we better make the most of them before we die. <laughs> and then uh, they pick a direction, and he's like, well, why'd you choose this way? Uh, Dodge says that to him. He says, I don't know. I just felt like it. <laughs> Yeah, Chuck Heston in this movie is pretty awesome, especially in the beginning where the other crew members are kind of like freaking out. They're worrying about like the the lady who just died and what are they going to do and how are they going to get back? And Chuck Heston's like, suck it up, pansies. Get used to this. This is your new life. This is your new reality. Get with the program. You're going to be dead in two minutes. Deal with it. We're 325 light years away from that dirty old planet that we left. We're somewhere near Orion's belt and all this stuff. Yeah, it was uh, pretty interesting. And I, I got to say that I think that this movie took a page out of Star Trek, the television show that came out right around the same time, maybe a little bit before this. I mean, it seemed like space was a bit of a, you know, there's the space race with Sputnik and getting the man on the moon, that kind of stuff. And so I think that there was a big interest in this type of thing. But one of the things that Star Trek did was it was like the United Colors of Benetton on TV for like the first time, right? You had Uhura and Sulu and uh, Kirk and and a bunch of, um, you know, just like the myriad of races and cultures um, in the in the TV show. And you see that here with Dodge, you know, they make, there's a black guy on the screen. He's one of the three uh, surviving astronauts, at least initially. And I thought that that was like purposefully done. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying good or bad. I'm just saying like for as old as this film is, it's, you know, that they did it on purpose and it was probably a good thing. Am I saying that right? You know what I'm saying. You're trying to say words and I'm listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth. But yeah, I think, I think I know what you're sort of saying. Um, he didn't seem like a token character. Um, it definitely seemed like Chuck Heston's story. But what I think is a little bit more fun and interesting is that the entire, their plan was to be like essentially colonizers on, you know, some distant planet or whatever. And their entire plan was to have one woman and three men and they were going to start a whole new race, right? So essentially they're setting up just like a gangbang in space <laughs> gangbang on a new planet uh, so in for my money this is like the way better than star trek i don't think star trek really got into gangbangs as much as this movie did so unfortunately you know spoiler alert the uh, the lady is already dead when they wake up so there goes the gangbang but luckily they land on a planet with a whole bunch of like women who can't talk oh it's like ideal <laughs> so it's like the greatest thing ever and they're fit you know Oh, yeah, they look good. They look good, and they don't nag. I mean, it sounds like a paradise. All right, and that has, that's our misogynist moment on the Last Nighters podcast. 
but yeah, you're right. That That is essentially the idea. And that's if everything had gone according to plan. Now, from my understanding, unless you've got, you know, twins or, or more going along in that, in that uh, bun in the oven sequence, they could only have one kid at a time, like maybe once a year, year and a half kind of a deal, because I know that you need a break after having a kid. So I, would the three guys just be taking turns, having a new kid, and then a year and a half later, another kid? No, 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 no. It's a gangbang situation. It made the best sperm win. That's how you do it, Daniel. <laughs> All right, so you don't. You never even know. I mean, well, nine months later, you'd I probably you probably figure out at least know. one of them. You would have a pretty good idea if, 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 if we're thinking of one in particular, yeah. And now the other two, I mean, yeah, you could maybe over time go oh he has you know chuck's eyes or has lobotomized dudes like horseshoe scar on his head Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you know that's genetic right absolutely it is (laughs) well i like the way he looked before he got the horseshoe cut out he had like these massive like it was either either the most ridiculous looking fake beard or it was just this super sculpted manicured beard and ridiculous haircut loved it all right so my comment to that is yes they did an amazing job on makeup in this movie, but it was on the apes. He got like whatever they had left over that they just like glued onto his face for the 10 minutes that he was on screen for the rest of the film after the crash. Right. And right. yeah. And it was, it was epic. And from what I understand, uh, they had the, the production took all of the makeup artists in Hollywood. Like no other film could get a makeup artist. So it was like a big supply and demand situation. Prices went up. Uh, other films couldn't get made. So, you know, it was like, pretty pretty crazy and i think that they just had like some intern do his patchy beard glue face action on landon well i mean the the the, the apes look great honestly i they obviously don't look as good as the, the the current apes who look just like real right but for the time and then you actually got the um i mean really the only thing you can really complain about i suppose would be the lip movement which is looks kind of you know bad but for the time it was a fantastic achievement and i think you totally I, I had no problem, you know, suspending my disbelief and like, you know, enjoying the the movie. I mean, clearly I've watched this movie before and it's kind of like this kind of hokey classic. But, you know, as, as ham-fisted as the story is, it's still a lot of fun. Oh, and it just devolves. Now, did you... It devolves from there. Like Apes 2, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, is corny. <laughs> and then the well, there's... third one, I think, Beneath the Planet of the Apes is even worse. And that's where like there's humans dressed as... Uh... Like these cult member types. Anyway, the, the whole well, franchise just gets terrible from from this one. Yeah. Did it? Do you think that these current movies have redeemed it? Uh, well, I'm going to pretend that the Burton Wahlberg, Wahlberg one didn't happen. But the three, sure. the three most recent. The the thing that's interesting about the three most most recent is they're fairly well done, and like you said, they're um, you know realistic looking apes, and it's CGI motion capture with like circus and Andy Circus and and that type of technology, and. I love how it dovetails. I just finished watching War for the Planet of the Apes, and as much as I felt that that one was kind of a corny one, uh, the premise is that there's a disease that's infecting the humans that's, like, killing them or making them not be able to speak any longer. Like, they're losing their ability to talk, which ties into, you know, 2,000 years later, Planet of the Apes, the humans can't talk. So it gives reason for why that is. It certainly does. Now, in that movie, though, uh, Woody Harrelson plays this like military commander guy who is made who has made the hard choice to murder anybody who comes down with the disease. Now, in the movie, it's not exactly clear. I mean, it seems to be that the humans don't know how the disease is spread because he just kind of kills anybody who gets it. He doesn't know if who the carriers are, how it's transmitted. That's never discussed. But he thinks he's doing a good thing by killing these people to prevent everybody else from being mute. But, I mean, really, at the end of the day, so so you lose your ability to speak. There are people in this world who don't have the ability to speak, and it's, you know, they, they live perfectly fine lives. It would be a, a radical change for humanity. You know, we'd do far more texting, I suppose. I think it's already but, happening naturally, honestly. Right, yeah, like how much times do we actually talk anyway? So you to text and then you have, you know, your own like Siri voice for yourself that translates and, you know, speaks for you or translate, you know, auditories, your, your texts or something like that. But I think human beings could be just fine, honestly. So ultimately, Harrelson is kind of like a psychopathic villain in that movie and he's less of a good guy. But I do appreciate that he thinks he's doing a good thing. How did, how did the uh, Harrelson uh, villain work for you in that movie? Well, I, I, I think that most people think that they're heroes of their own story. And so even the most violent dictators... 
thought that they were doing a great thing. Um, you see people on the left who virtue, virtue signal for people who don't need it, um, thinking that they're being a great person. You were telling me uh, in some pre-show content that uh, a writer on Kotaku was lamenting the fact that Steam is not shutting off some games, but uh, recently they were lamenting that they weren't allowing like sex games on there or something. You can tell it better than I, but essentially the point is people think they're doing the right thing in general, even if they're doing something that's awful and terrible. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just so happy that you do actually listen to me when I talk sometimes. That makes me happy. <laughs> but um, so did you, so did that character work for you then? It wasn't enough to um, make me like him or think that he was that great. Like he didn't get a whole lot of screen time until way towards the end. And he was yeah. a, a bit over the top. Um, also, I would think that the suspicion would be that it's the apes that are maybe, commu you know, the origin, the vector of the disease. So the fact that he's put them in this uh, slave camp and he's making them build this wall would put him and the people in his base in closer proximity to the potential disease-carrying apes, right? So wouldn't that be like, um, you know, kind of a bad thing to do? Yeah, I mean, I would think you would want to learn as much about the disease as possible. So you would quarantine as much as possible, you know, yourself away from other people who are sick or quarantine any suspicious, you know, biological organisms away from you. Um, it seemed to be more of a, a plot point like the 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 writers just magically had you know so and so get it because you know plot reasons so spoilers like Harrelson gets it and then he ends up killing himself but you know for what it was as a as a an issue in the movie and then being able to dovetail into the original Planet of the Apes I thought it was fine I did appreciate that they made an attempt to do that it's interesting that it it's still alive and well two thousand years later human beings still can't talk and they've devolved into basically hunter-gatherer type peoples. Yeah, total ANCOM, ANPRIMS. Yeah, yeah, totally ANPRIMS. <laughs> All right, so so the Harrelson thing, and, and then I'll, I'll move back to the 68 version. Uh, he got it because he picked up the doll that that girl had given uh, Caesar after she broke into the prison, and she had the disease. Her dad had taken her to uh, this little hut to take care of her because otherwise she would have been killed, right? Because she had the disease. right. And so that's how Harrelson ends up getting it. But uh, Are you sure? Is that explicitly said, or is that just kind of insinuated? It is explicitly, he picks up the doll, and then later, after he's caught the illness, they show the doll again in his, in his quarters. Okay, I guess I didn't quite notice that part. Now, I did want to ask you, and then we will get back to 68. Uh, when Caesar and the other two apes approach this guy gathering wood, and the guy has... You know, he's gonna, uh, he says, I'm just going to set this wood down. And then, yeah, he's about to draw out a fire at them. But they murder him. <laughs> or Caesar does, right? Because Caesar's gone, like, rogue. He's gone, um, what, was the, what was the villain in uh, the second one? Uh, Koba. Koba, yeah. So he, he's become more and more like Koba now. So he's, like, not taking any shit. So he shoots this guy. Now, I think that the guy was going to shoot them. You know, he was making a furtive motion. But they're approaching him in his property right he's homesteaded that area he lives there so sure they're trespassers in that situation so i think he right. had every opportunity to you know question them and, and be able to defend himself but he ended up getting shot for it so what are your right. thoughts on that and then we'll go back to 68 well i i would definitely say that yeah in that instance the the humans are or the the apes are that's an act of aggression but i mean if you go back to the beginning of the movie the apes and the humans are like completely at war with each other and I don't know if, you know, there are necessarily, if the apes even care at that point, if there are, you know, conscientious objectors or people that aren't in on the fight or, you know, civilians. I don't even know if that concept is even brought up in that movie. It's just, it just seems like there are, if you're a human, you're on team human. And if you're an ape, you're on team ape, unless you're a little girl that can't talk. So from my perspective, yeah, that was an act of aggression. You're you're murdering a guy on his own land. Sure. But from the apes perspective, they're like, well, got another human. Bagged me in. Bagged another one. Good deal. That's another one that's not going to kill my family or whatever. So, yeah, I, war is a horrible thing. And it does a horrific, takes horrific psychological toll on the victims and the victors. Anybody and then people that aren't even involved just want to stay out of it. Hey, I'm just alone in the woods. And here you are painting me with the enemy brush. So you're going to make an excuse to murder me. It's 
it's just a messed up situation all the way around. Now, Caesar is shown as kind of like the peacemaker, especially in the second one. He's like, man, I don't want this. But Koba, you know, does a false flag and starts the whole war. And even in the beginning of the third one, the war for the planet of the apes, doesn't doesn't Caesar in the beginning kind of like want to negotiate the truce is like, you know, these people are going to let these people live, go back to your general guy and say we want enough of this. Isn't that what doesn't that happen? Like we're on the hill right after that initial battle at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. He does send back a couple of survivors and offers peace. Yeah. So I don't know, man, it's a complex movie. I don't think there's anybody completely innocent in it. But if. You know, the apes are basically, you know, kind of wanting to be left alone for the most part. And a lot of, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I'm just not exactly sure. Let's let's move on because I, I, I'll i sit here and try and think about it. I'll, I would have to think about it more. Um, All right. Exactly what the movie's trying to say. Because, you know, like what what are the motivations here? You know, you got Harrelson who just wants to kill all the apes. Why? Are they in competition for anything? Is it just we don't like you because you don't look like us? Is it like some sort of allegory for racism? Or what is it? Um, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I will say that by the beginning of the film, the, the apes, Caesar, are trying to escape the humans. So they're being pursued. And it's only after the general kills caesar's family that caesar and two or three of the other apes go on this mission to go and kill the colonel and that's yeah and i would right and i would be in full support for caesar to go and kill the guy that killed your family someone came and killed my family i would have no issues whatsoever about killing the person that killed my family i just wouldn't we could debate whether or not that's the correct moral stance or not but i it Certain things just come down to what are you going to put up with? And I don't, I don't put up with people murdering my friends and family. Just don't. All right. So that was War for the Planet of the Apes. Let's go back to the original that started it all. And I want to ask, with the whole philosophizing in the spacecraft time bends, does man still make war on his brother? The whole Heston stuff. He says something about the future. Like they've, they've ended up in the future. And I'm just curious if you think that he meant it's the future, as in linear, like they're just 2,000 years ahead? Or is it like parallel futures and they've crossed into another stream? So it's just a possible future. Like when the computer tells them that it's 3968? Right. But but uh, aren't there theories that there's infinite worlds, infinite possibilities and different dimensions, different planes. And so you could end up in, in a different one um, and, and a different result would happen? There are those, those theories for sure. I don't think that's what Heston was saying or that's not necessarily what they were talking about in this movie. I did think it was interesting that, um, or at least weird, that Heston seemed to think that they were like, what, 700 and some odd million light years away from Earth or something like that. But then they are actually on Earth. So how, what exactly happened there? I'm not sure. Well, he was asleep at the wheel for like 18 months. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Okay, he was traveling at near light speed for 18 months or whatever, however long they were traveling for. So they just went out and then took a U-turn and then came back. And then it was 2,000 years later. I don't know, man. Uh, but, I, you know, it's fine. I, I don't care. It's Ultimately, it doesn't matter. You're just trying to tell a story and it's, it's an all an allegory about man's inhumanity to man. And that's fine. Um, what did you think about... Because it gets pretty heavy-handed almost right off the bat as soon as Heston wakes up and he's, you know, he's captured and then he wakes up in the um, scientist lab. And there's all of these discussions about how man is just a beast and, you know, they're basically just unthinking. They have a cunning, but they're just mimics. They're just mimicking, you know, apes when they're trying to show that they can talk and that sort of thing. And it just reminded me of, you know, essentially human arguments about how apes are not sentient because they can just mimic they can just learn how birds are not sentient because they just mimic all throughout time. Scientists and other you know, religious scholars and that sort of thing have kind of poo-pooed the idea that anything but humanity is sentient. Or that, you know, even if you go back to like religious like origins and the Bible and that sort of thing, saying that, you know, life is only exists on Earth. When it's kind of funny that just today NASA came out and said they found life on Mars, which is interesting. So Yeah, and to that life being found point, I, I thought it was kind of funny in the 68 that they're trudging through the desert. And as soon as they see this tiny little plant, they're like, Oh my good goodness life. And then a few minutes later, there's plants everywhere and it's like not a big deal anymore. You know, it's like the first one was a huge deal. And then all of a sudden they realize that there's a bunch more and then they end up swimming in this, uh, they go skinny dipping in this lush forest. Right. They do. It lost its value because you know, there was tons, tons of it everywhere. Right. 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 Scarcity. Um, so yeah, you can make a, an economic value scale argument there. 
Um, but these guys are also scientists, and they immediately just start breathing the air of some rando planet that they land on. They don't have like any kind of, they don't do any sort of air testing. Oh, they did. They did. And then when they did. Yeah. When, when the ship was sinking, he says, Hey, get an air reading, get an atmospheric reading, make sure we can breathe out there. And then when they get out onto land, they do test the soil to see if anything will grow. And apparently in that particular area, nothing would grow. So that's why they thought it was a sterile, sterile planet. Um, Man, I got to watch these movies a little more carefully. You're, you're kicking my ass on these details. Yeah, you should. You should really watch these and pay attention. Uh, I did want to ask, when the ship sank, they, he said, going, going, gone. And that's like a common phrase. Do you think it originated in this film? Or did it originate in baseball, like radio announcers, you know, home <clears throat> runs, going, going, gone, grand salami, that kind of shit? Yeah, I think it's used far more often in baseball. They could have definitely taken it from baseball. I, if I had to guess, I would guess it was from baseball and they used it in this movie. Because um, they used a f- bunch of other kind of phrases in this movie that I, I doubt they originated. Like Heston at one point, you know, tells the young ape teenager, you know, don't trust anybody over 30. And that's something that, um, you know, the hippies would always say. I don't know specifically what hippies, but that was like a common refrain in the 60s. So I don't know how many original thoughts this movie had, but it is a collection of thoughts, which is, you know, they're fun. Now, what did you think about the basically the argument that, you know, man is a beast and man's always going to war against other men? And they're a bunch of racist piece of trash, garbage people, and then we're going to destroy the planet. Well, I can definitely see why they would have thought that at the time. I mean, they were in the midst of the Cold War. World War II had just ended. Vietnam was just heating up. Uh, Korea had happened in between. Um, this was the the beginning of, you know, counterculture, the hippies and the peace and uh, anti-war movement. And so I can definitely see a political commentary on that where they would um, look upon all of those things happening at the time and, and being rather concerned and making making a statement about them. Because those are uncivilized things, right? They They do risk destroying the planet. And war is, of course, a terrible thing. So I, I think they had every reason to be uh, making such comments. Okay, well, you cut out there for about a minute. So I'm guessing I'm just going to have to guess what you said. But you seem to appreciate those comments and think that they were true. Is that is that correct? Did you think they were true or do you sympathize for them thinking those thoughts? I, I do sympathize with them and I hope that it recorded my portion. I believe it did. Fantastic. But did you agree with those thoughts? Do you think man is a beast and that it, we, it'll, we'll, we'll be at war constantly forever? I think as long as there's belief in the state, then yes, that will be a persistent thing. But okay. Once but we is a man evolve are, beyond it, that, because do we have a beast? Go ahead. Well, because a state lives off predation and violence, and it doesn't produce anything of its own. It can only take from the productive. And when they have the quote unquote authority to take from the productive, then all of their all of their uh, any natural like bellicosity that they have will be further enhanced because they don't have to bear the cost themselves. They can just finance it by taking from others. Whereas if they had to bear the risks themselves, like in in a private society where there was no state, people would incur the consequences of their actions more directly. So I think that you would see a significant drop in violence. Like you couldn't amass the destructive power that's required for wars without a state misallocating and stealing to get to get those things into a concentration so you're saying that walmart death squads will not be a thing i am saying that is highly unlikely yes okay well the whole it reminds me of the whole you know if if men are angels then you wouldn't need a government because you wouldn't need anyone to rule over anybody else because everybody would just doing the best thing possible at all times and if men are devils then you couldn't possibly have a government because the people would just use government as an evil organization to rule and lord over other people. And if men are a combination of good angels and bad devils, then you definitely can't have a government because the devils would just rule and dominate over the good people. So I thought it was interesting in the movie that um, it was there was kind of a class system and there was definitely a state and how the state, even in these apes, was hiding knowledge, hiding the truth from the rank and file citizens and there was like all kinds of glorifications of the past and like there's like a religion like a state religion it had pretty much all the trappings of current modern day governments just recycled um right but they substitute a a religion for statism itself you know like most people who don't don't think of um think of themselves as atheists are actually still religious it's just that their god is the state but in Certainly. Planet of the Apes 68, it's like this weird hybrid combination of their estate, 
they're a religion and they're also in charge of the scientific inquiry. And Dr. Zayas is like this combination of the three, right? He apparently is the supreme decider of these things. He's also the chief science officer, and he's also very uh, highly up in the religious aspect. And he's the one hiding knowledge. And I think that he believed that he was doing it for the good of the ape civilization. Like he was hiding it because he thought it was better that the apes didn't know the true history, the true past. Right, because he believes that humanity... The are just or they're just beasts and they're just the worst and they're gonna they would any kind of influence and in like holding men above apes in any way would be detrimental to ape society. Like like if we ever discovered that you know there was some ancient ape society that was actually technologically superior and socially superior to current modern day humanity. I mean I don't I don't I don't think it would necessarily be that big of a threat, but it would be interesting to see the backlash and the response from various people. I don't think it would be in danger. Like, it would, I don't think it would be, you know, like, 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 like figuring out, finding out that there's life on Mars. It's like people would go, huh, okay, interesting, and get on with their life. I don't think it's going to cause anybody to freak out. I mean, unless, so unless finding the out bees started talking, then, then we'd freak out. I mean, that's essentially what, what this is. Bee, bee movie, which we did a few weeks ago. This is bee movie, but with apes that look like Valerie Jarrett, according to Roseanne, or one specific ape, Dr. Zira. Well, is she wrong? No, she's not wrong. <laughs> and and I wanted to ask you this. Is it really racist? I don't think it, it truly is because she's talking about one individual person who I don't even think is black, uh, who literally looks like a character from this movie. Like Saying that one thing uncanny. looks like another thing is not a harmful comment to make, in my view. Now, I, I think it's funny that the lefty reaction to this is that Roseanne was saying that all black people look like monkeys. I, I saw multiple times where instead of saying this woman's name, they instead inserted people and said, you know, black people. That, 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 that Roseanne said that black people look like monkeys from the Planet of the Apes, which is clearly not what she said. But even if she did, I, why does anybody care? This, this outrage culture is, seems like a super counterproductive thing. Like, just don't give them your time or your energy. If you think she's a racist or whatever, then ignore her. But it's it's these, um, it seems to be like the, have a lot of power. It's almost like they they love building up these straw men and giving giving arguments more weight than they actually have. Like, like the Steam thing I was talking about earlier. So they're worried that, you know, there might be some games that promote questionable things like violent things or racist things or whatever well so there's a thing for sale on a digital marketplace that may promote some like let's say that there's like a white nationalist like type thing on steam and it and it promotes like a bunch of white people getting together and just having a good time and everything's awesome town and white world okay so they have it for sale in a digital marketplace okay how is that hurting anybody how does it harm anybody do they are they really worried that People are going to see that game, shell out their hard-earned money for that game, and then be convinced by that, and then therefore they're going to go do something. It seems like a real, I don't know, it's just, it just doesn't seem like a credible thing to me. Like, there are things out there on the internet with which you do not agree. Fine, fine. And there's always going to be that thing. Are you really worried that those arguments are so undefeatable that you have to, like, violently oppose them? I don't know. Am I making any sense? Uh, vaguely. Vaguely, you, you generally do. I, I do want to point out the hypocrisy because in the 80s and early 90s when music was put under the microscope for uh, people committing violent acts or committing suicide, I think it was people on the left who were saying, no, you know, they, they should be able to do what they want. And it was the the uh, conservatives imposing their morality upon others by wanting to restrict what um, what music could do or say. And it had warning labels is that how, your recollection? I mean, I know Tipper Gore was involved, and she's a lefty, but I would think that most, like our growing up period of being sort of left-leaning, was more in line of the free speech, you know, censoring things is a bad thing, that whole deal, and it feels like now the left is the entirely opposite of that. The left is the new right. It definitely seems that way. Yeah. They are all for censorship, and, you know, things that we don't agree with, they need to be gotten rid of. But things that we agree with, yeah, let them happen because we want to impose our morality on this thing or that thing or everything that I like or I use. You know, and you've said this before uh, in, in a previous show, they actually have that power right now. And it doesn't even need to be violent. It could just be they pay for the things that they like. 
and they don't pay for the things they don't like, and the things that aren't profitable won't get made anymore, and the things that are profitable, more things like them will get made. Like, they hold the power right now. They do. They are the vast majority. The vast, vast majority in terms of people that buy, like, video games. There was, in the article, in the same article, they were complaining about, um, like, uh, some white identitarian, like, group, like, or a right conservative group was on steam where they just kind of like get together and you can like you can like join and form different groups kind of like facebook groups and one was like a white conservative group or i don't even know if it was white but it was just like a conservative group and it said some of like if you're a monarchist i forget exactly all of the things that it said but you know you're welcome here and it showed like 84 members and like this is a huge problem for who i, I every time they complain about one of these things i'm always questioning who the victim is because what is where's the harm in somebody making an offer to somebody else here is a thing. Do you want to buy it? No, you don't. Oh, now I have aggressed against you by offering a thing to you. You could make the most horrific. There was a game recently. I think it's, I don't know if it's been released or not, but it was a game where you were a school shooter. So you ran around inside the school and I don't know, I, I just saw a screenshot. So I just, I'm left to imagine what the game was about. Sounds like you would go into a school and you'd try and kill as many people as possible. Now, aside from the fact that that's pretty much very similar to a lot of games, <laughs> I mean, take away the fact that the people can't shoot back at you, and it's pretty similar. I mean, you're going around killing things. There's there's a game where you know you're shooting a bunch of Nazis. There are games where you shoot just rando people. There are all kinds of games where where you're going around shooting people. You so got Wolfenstein, you've got Doom, you've got Call of Duty, you've got uh, Grand Theft Auto, those types of games. Yeah, Goldeneye. Back when we were in. Uh... College, that was a good one. James Bond. Sure, yeah, that's yeah, a good one. But even if those games, I mean, you can just imagine the most terrific content. If it's just up for sale, you don't have to buy it. You don't have to talk about it. You don't have to propagate it. These people that call attention to this stuff, I mean, if there wasn't an article written about it, would you even have a clue that it existed? They're, in fact, probably doing better business by getting their game talked about than they ever would otherwise. But even if you did, even if, even if, the, the the game was purchased. You know, what they're really afraid of is that someone's going to buy the game and, like, be convinced by the argument of the game. You know, is this is the same argument that the left used against, you know, in defense of, like, Marilyn Manson's music or rap music back in the day when they were whining about, you know, the whole fuck the police type stuff. Judas Priest. Like, yeah, people are going to listen to this and then they're going to go out and do it because people are mindless automatons just waiting to be programmed by whatever. And I think if you're a radical individualist like myself and realize that people have self-ownership and they're responsible for their own actions, that you can't just sit there and go, oh, well, he went and killed this person and it was because he listened to this song. It strips that person of any responsibility for their own actions. Oh, it wasn't my fault. I heard this one song one time or oh, I played this video game one time and now I had to go murder a bunch of people. It's a ridiculous argument and it's it, completely unconvincing to me. But we should probably talk about this movie. Yeah, get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Yeah, buddy. All right. So, what did you think of what did you think of Hessen's uh, Hessen's acting? Was, I thought it wasn't it wasn't too bad. You know, but he's he, not the he's a fairly wooden guy. Yeah, he was a bit over the top, especially in his laugh when um, that one dude like planted a little flag. He just laughs yeah. maniacally into the sky, and it, it's like for a couple of beats too long. You know, he just stands out as really awkward. Yeah, definitely. Definitely awkward. <laughs> it's a madhouse. <laughs> it's a madhouse. So, you know, back now that we're talking about the film again, uh, I thought it was interesting how the Anprim, Ancom type humans were being hunted by the apes. And of course, Dodge, the, the black astronaut, he got shot by the uh, apes in the back. And those were uh, the blue vested ape cops. So I thought, you know, par for the course, right? Do you think it was trying to make a comment on that back in the day? <laughs> no, no. But speaking of blue vests, uh, there's a guy who's famous now, a uh, social media type uh, named DeRay. DeRay? I, I don't really know much about him, but he claimed that the uh, blue vested character in War for the Planet of the Apes was a derogatory slight directed at him as an individual. So he goes around wearing a blue vest? Yes, he's known and the, for it. He like thinks a, the makers of the movie knew him? And tried to make a comment about him? I think so. Yeah, I think that was the story. And then okay. people pointed out to him, well, you know, Planet of the Apes came out 
48 years prior and well before you were born, and they had blue vests. So maybe you got the idea from the uh, Planet of the Apes movie to wear the blue vest. Or maybe, or maybe the producers of the Planet of the Apes 1968 were bent, wizards they bent and time. knew the future <laughs> and knew that this guy would be big, and um, that's why they did it. All right, so one other point, and we're, we're almost to an hour, so we, we've hardly talked about this movie. But uh, when they were skinny dipping, when they got out of the water... Did you get an erection? It's almost related to that. Did you find okay. it awkward when um, Chuck Heston's standing there and the other two dudes bend down? Did they? They did, yeah. It, it looked like, I mean, you could gif it and it would be like total innuendo. It's it's bizarre. I'll try, <laughs> I'll try to make a gif out of it and send it to you, but... Anyway, it stood out to me. Looking forward to that. It's freaking awkward. <laughs> Love it. Well, what's a good movie from the 60s without a skinny dipping scene of three men? What's wrong with that? I don't know. It made sense inside the plot, and then they had to get their clothes off them somehow. So there wasn't a, the girl around to do the orgy scene. So they had to get their clothes off somehow, and they just have them running through a desert, by a watering hole. and then. But they didn't really understand why... I didn't understand why the other people were like stealing their clothes. Like, what, what use did they have for their, some old clothes? Well, they were ANCOMs. They, they were stealing the means of production. Okay. Like, they, they're, okay. they were savages, right? And they were trying... Like, it was something new and unique, and so they were taking it and looking through it, rifling through it, destroying it, because it was something they'd never seen before. Fair enough. Yeah, just curious. Curious. And, okay. Uh, okay. Also, when, when, when the humans were being hunted and they were stringing them up and uh, taking photos in front of them, I thought that was just, like, genius and crazy and, you know, just fun. <laughs> you liked it? Well, not in the, you know, like, oh, I wish that happened, but, you know, just I, I found it funny. In a... Well, I mean, it seemed to be a yeah, commentary on trophy hunters. I mean, I didn't really quite understand why they were capturing these people in the first place. I mean, other than scientific research, but they didn't really seem to have them be doing anything otherwise. Like they weren't like, capturing them for slave labor or anything. Right? It yeah, seemed it seemed like, like zoos, game zoos hunting. and science, which I suppose is real. Yeah, it just game hunting. Though it didn't seem like they fought back really. Of course, that really doesn't happen now when people are like hunting deer and whatnot. But. Anyway, that's beside the point. Mm, indeed. Uh, I did want to talk about Dr. Zayas again a little bit because he's a fucking charlatan, religious, scientistic politician who was he held the purse strings on this quota system for ape science funding. Uh, I don't know if you paid attention to this point, but um, Cornelius and Zero were talking, and Cornelius said, oh, well, you got funded because of the quota system. No, I, I, I was not. I did not hear this part. So if you've got a point to make, go for it. Well, it's just when the, the state is so involved and and also religion is so involved in this society the the ape society then it is a favor system and and and, and quotas need to be made and, and met you know what i'm saying so it's like uh it it gets in the way of how science would actually progress in a natural way you know where there would be risk being taken by entrepreneurs putting funds towards something investigating something creating something new learning something it totally destroys that um that connection when you have these sort of um involuntary funding methods if you will i do i do will um yeah this is out of the scope of the movie but it did there are you know realistic kind of questions like how do the apes not know about flight you know what is the economy in this in this world what what does get made? Where does it get made? I got I got questions, man. I think I think the later movies do a little bit better job on that. But for the scope of the movie, I really can't fault it too much because it was just a, a fun time, except for the whole heavy-handed like socio-political commentary. Yeah. Now, before we get into the uh, the final summary and review, I did want to ask you about the kangaroo court situation where Heston was being tried and he wasn't allowed to speak, and they did the um, "hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil" thing from the tribunal. And oh. apparently that was ad-libbed on the day. They didn't plan that. It just, they did it and it made the cut. And uh, I think that it was like the, one of the standout moments because the kangaroo court oh. was totally a railroading. They weren't actually seeking justice. They were just seeking to ceremonial, cer ceremonize? How, how am I saying this right? They were seeking to follow a certain ceremony to f fulfill some obligations, make sure certain steps were taken to get their, the outcome, the verdict that they desired. Like it was not a In fair other trial. words, it's a kangaroo court, like you said. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just over-explaining it and butchering words in the process. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I did appreciate that, you know, um, Heston was a man and therefore he had no rights in ape court. I think that would be appropriate. I don't think a, a monkey or an ape or a baboon or an orangutan or anything like that would have rights or a bee? in a human court. Hmm? Or a bee? Well, now, if, if 
if the bee could talk, then I would want. I, I've, I'm, I'm on record, man, saying that once I've, a, I've got a the creature, documents. once a creature demonstrates its sentience, then you, you got to respect that, man. I think you got to, or else why would they respect yours? So if, if, if the if Heston establishes his sentience by speaking, by clearly demonstrating thoughts that he is having. <laughs> Regardless of whether or not you agree with those thoughts, you would have to at least assume or believe that he is a thinking, conscious creature and therefore grant him the same rights. And by grant, just respect. Like, they don't bestow them. Right. They just exist right. and they recognize them. But yeah, he, he would, by demonstrating his ability to rationally think and express himself, he would establish that he has natural rights that should be respected by others. Right. And we talked about this in the B episode, where if bees started talking tomorrow, like as of today, if you crush a bee, nobody cares and nobody should care. But if tomorrow, after they've established that they can talk and they can think and speak and they're rational creatures that are conscious and sentient, if you crush a bee, you basically just committed murder. I'll agree. Circle gets the square. And you know what? I think that may be one of the things motivating Zaius is he's in denial. Like he's trying to railroad this guy and not recognize his natural rights because he's afraid that the humans are going to start being able to speak and assert their dominance again on the planet. And so that's why he's protecting, he, he's trying to protect his civilization, I think, now that we've talked right. this through a little bit. Like he sees now, this as an imminent threat that men can now talk and he knows the history of men and how uh, they were warlike and ended up killing themselves off right and he sees that future possibly coming true for his own species if mankind should what deep be rise back to prominence or whatever i i'm not exactly sure clear exactly what zaius is has in his mind of what the threat exactly is or if it's a culture that is so fragile that the slightest bit of new information sends it into a tailspin yeah he definitely was the oz behind the curtain for sure. Now, trying to hold it all together. Now, you just agreed with me earlier about basically, you know, not your rights are not granted by others, right? You establish that you are a sentient creature and therefore you have natural given rights. I have heard it said that libertarianism is a philosophy for human beings. For me, that's not enough. For me, it's the philosophy of sentient beings. Now, where are you? I mean, because you did disagree with me. So are you going to completely agree with me? Or are you going to go back and kind of defend the human idea? Well, to date, I believe that humans are the only ones who have established that level of sentience. But I would agree with you that if you take it to the logical conclusion that if some other entity was able to, at some point, establish a similar level of sentience and that they are able to rationally uh, think and communicate, then they would establish that they, too, have natural rights that should be respected. Excellent. But I would also say that in current society, the negative rights of natural rights of, of people respecting others' negative rights is trampled on constantly, and that is in normal society. Yes. But I digress. <clears throat> That's why we have the libertarianism. All right, so let's get to the end of the film and then do our final summary mm. and review. So end of the film, they go to this cave, and Zaius basically reveals that he's aware that humans were more advanced and that he was hiding it from the ape civilization. And then he allows uh, Chuck Heston and um, Notaki Hadi to escape along the beach to where they discover that they are not, in fact, 320 million or 320 light years from Earth on the third star from the belt of Orion. They are, in fact, on Earth when they see the Statue of Liberty. Big, Indeed. Big, big reveal. reveal. Classically spoofed in space balls. Um, yeah, there's some interesting things that happen at the end of the movie. Uh, you've got these kind of true believer scientist people who still think Zaius isn't a lost cause, who think that if they can just convince him that there was a human civilization in the past, that all their ideas would be vindicated and they wouldn't be tried for heresy and all this. Um, it's the classic like appealing to authority. Like if I can just convince this other person that I'm granting this authority over me. It's it's really putting your fate in the hands of others. And it really annoys me that, that so many people do this. I mean, it's a realistic, pragmatic move. You know, the world we live in, there are these people called judges or politicians or whatever who have the power. But for me, I'm like, well, all your power is predicated on violence and it's completely horseshit. So why would I give a shit trying to convince you to hopefully change your mind to maybe be nicer to me? I It's... Uh, Seems like a waste of time. And of course, 
Zaius is new all along, and he tries them for heresy anyway, and all of their efforts go to naught. So uh, hopefully they learned their lesson there. Probably not, but hopefully they do. Uh, so it's, I suppose it's a pretty decent lesson at the end of the movie there. And then, of course, it is Earth. And it's strange that the Statue of Liberty, which is like made out of copper, and copper actually degrades fairly quickly in term, you know, geologic terms. So the idea that the Statue of Liberty would still exist and nothing else would is kind of funny. But, you know, for iconic purposes, it's a good enough choice. Um, it's certainly, certainly stuck in the in the culture, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the universal mind of man. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Was it a big reveal at the end? It seemed to me like it was kind of telegraphing the ending the entire time. Like, yeah, there was mankind before. So how would there be man on this distant planet and apes on this distant planet? Sure seems like you're on earth the whole time there, Chuck. But what do I know? I mean, I grew up, you know, having already known the ending before I saw it for the very first time. And of course this wasn't even the first time I saw it. So do you think Daniel did, would, would this, would this ending have like blown away the minds of like an audience in 1968? Or did you think that it was like telegraphed the whole time? I think that you would suspend the disbelief and be able to believe that they were on another planet. I mean, you're told they're on another planet, right? You're told that they're 320 uh, light years away. And if that's the premise of the story, then until they reveal it at the end, you would likely believe it, I, I think. Um, so, yeah. So in your mind, then, what? how did human beings get to this distant planet? And how did apes get to this distant planet? Because those are two species that are pretty unique to Earth. Well, I mean, we're, we're really running out of time here. But because it was in the story that they were 320 light years away and that there were other life forms there that just happened to be human and apes... I think that that's uh, believable enough. I mean, you see it. We referenced Star Trek earlier. There's many humanoid alien species in Star Trek. And who knows, right. out of the infinite expanse of the universe, <laughs> what other civilizations might exist. And when time bends, Robert, time All right. bends. And there's, you know, interdimensional planes and interstellar. And you're in a bookshelf and all oh, that stuff. Oh, right. Interstellar, <laughs> sure. And flippy floppy robots. That's right. That's right. With the bookshelf. We're bringing it all together. I forgot about the bookshelf. Okay, you're right. You're absolutely right. Humans are extra fifth dimensional organisms and can pass through time and space at any given time. So sure. Okay, right. you win. So back to the point on Zaius, uh, you, you mentioned appeal to authority, and I think maybe you meant to say it slightly differently because an appeal to authority is to um, refer to someone who said something about something and take it because of who they are or, or whatever credentials they have. I think you were saying appealing to him because he was an authority figure to them. Like they were trying to gain his favor and they were trying to use rational arguments and logic, but he was strongly invested in ignoring any logical argument so long as it supported, you know, the ignoring it would support his continued ability to be in a position of authority, right? Like it's um, similar to the argument or the quip that when you're debating somebody, um, you can't ever expect them to see uh, the facts and, and, and the point that you're making if their paycheck depends on them not seeing it. Right, which is like going into a court these days and arguing against the legitimacy of that court. They're not going to just go, oh, yeah, I guess my whole life is predicated on bullshit. I'm sorry. Everyone's free to go. This is not going to happen. I might still do it, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. anyway, let's 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 wrap this up. All right. Well, I do have one quote. It's Ludwig von Mises that's sort of related to this. And he said, no one should expect that any logical argument or any experience could ever shake the almost religious fervor of those who believe in salvation through spending and credit expansion. So the last part doesn't really tie in, but the first part does. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The last part, not so much. <laughs> but it's, you know, but Daniel, why don't you start off with your uh, final summary interview? All right, so my final summary and review is that I feel like Planet of the Apes, the original one, is an iconic, classic cult film, and it do, it still stands up to this day. It is corny in some bits, but Chuck Heston is the man. Um, I think that it was popular at the time enough to have subsequent uh, movies come out in degrading quality, devolved from there. Uh, 2001, a remake. Um, I guess happened. I, I haven't seen it. Don't want to. I hear it's terrible. And then the new reboot ties it all together, makes it a circle in the flow, like Kevin Nealon in uh, Happy Gilmore. You know, the circle, the flow, the energy. It brings it all together. So I think that Planet of the Apes is a great movie, and I'm going to give it a 7.5 from me. Very good, Daniel. 
Yes, it is. It's like a circle. It rhymes. It's poetry. Um, 1968 Planet of the Apes holds up surprisingly well. The special effects, I mean, there's a series. There's at one point they're they're running through a desert and all of a sudden these giant boulders come tumbling down this dune. And <laughs> you know that that makes no sense, but okay. But you forgive it because it's just a fun ride. And, you know, for my money, the 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 commentary is a little bit hokey. It's a little bit on the nose, but there's a reason why this is like a classic. And I think it does hold up. And Chuck Heston is the man, um, even if he isn't the best actor. He he has the there's something about him that carries through the movie. Um, the supporting cast is also excellent. Uh, the, the special effects, uh, along with the costuming and the makeup, all still quite good. Um, you know, the acting varies in quality. Some of the the supporting actors not not super great. I'm thinking of some of the the people that played the apes in the uh, the jailhouse. Not not super great. Some of the other guys, but. Mm. Um, does the movie, you know, have a message that resonates today for me? Eh, maybe, maybe a little bit, not, not super great, but I, I'm kind of rambling at this point. So I'm just going to say that this movie is about a, uh, it's a seven, it's a seven and, uh, everybody should check it out. If you haven't, if you're just familiar with the uh, modern movies and you like those, go back and watch the original. It's, um, the strong starting point. I don't know if like Daniel says, the, uh, the sequels to that that were made also in the 60s and the 70s um, were worth watching. I don't know. Probably not. So, But at least watch the 68 to uh, get a feel for the base of, of what we're seeing these days. So a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I think that seeing this one and then the, uh, the three newer ones would be sufficient for seeing the quality films. If you want the full canon, then yes, go ahead and watch the other ones with the other ridiculousness. But uh, that's all the time we have for the show tonight. So this is our episode on Planet of the Apes. You can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 23. I appreciate you joining us and uh, bid you adieu. Good night from last night. All right, continuing the transmission a little bit on Actual Anarchy podcast, episode 80, 80. Uh, Robert, I wanted to mention that we we talked about the Valerie Jarrett Roseanne kerfuffle a little bit. Um, I wanted to to bring up the um, the comments made by people about George W. Bush back in the day and how he was a chimpanzee, or how people refer to Donald Trump as an orangutan now, and how those are very much different than uh, what even the alleged claims against Roseanne are. Yeah, well, it, the the left has no fear of hypocrisy. Um, I remember those, you know, George Bush is a monkey things. And I thought they were funny because I thought George Bush is a terrible human being. I still do. And he looks he's a terrible he, human being. And he looked like a chimpanzee. Like they would do these side by side pictures, and you could totally see it. Uh, s- similar yeah. with the Valerie Jarrett thing and uh, Doctor Zira. Sure. So to me, it's like almost the same thing. Yeah, and I don't think that you know you're for me you know these people like the president there are people who are violently dominating millions of people and murdering people thousands millions of people so the idea that they would be above ridicule for almost any reason is kind of laughable like i i'm not allowed to make fun of somebody who is a terrible human being because they're murdering a bunch of people yeah I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Um, the Roseanne thing, uh, it was kind of surprising that it happened so quickly. Like she tweeted something out and then just a few hours later she was canceled. Um, I don't particularly think, I think I think the left is far too like oversensitive or at least the loony left. You know, we, we're making these value, these broad generalizations. Yeah, broad brush, broad but, brush. But they're, know, they're vocal. Brush. They're vocal and they uh, they demand something be done and oftentimes they get what they want right yes very much that what you just said so the the idea that if you are going to be a successful human being you have to kind of kowtow and apologize and beg and scrape and constantly virtue signal that you're a good human being in order to get like treats and from these people is is really kind of disgusting which is why i always say never apologize you know defend yourself now if you truly it really was an accident and you didn't mean to do a thing and you want to say oops didn't mean to do that sorry fine but man if i had tweeted that out i would stand up for myself and say yeah aren't i right it's uncanny (laughs) it's uncanny it looks just like it 
And that's all I'm saying is that the one thing looks like another thing. It's you racist assholes who think that that you need to come and de defend an entire group of people that, you know, have a lot of melanin in their skin and think that they're such snowflakes that they need to be defended against. And that I'm making some broad proclamation that people with dark skin are closer genetically to apes than people with white skin, which is essentially ridiculous. I mean, we're essentially genetically identical. So, I mean, I realize that there's a history there that people have used throughout time, really. Anytime that there's any kind of group that you wanted to demonize, you would essentially say that, you know, black people are essentially apes or Jews are essentially apes or whatever. But we're talking about the modern day here, people. And if you're so snowflakey that, you know, if someone came out and said that, I mean, you see it all the time that, you know, white people constantly getting demonized constantly, that white people are only evil, constantly have to, you know, apologize for being white, being a cis white male and just how our opinions don't matter because we're just the worst people in the world. We've always had it good. We have such amazing privilege. And in the reality, we're all just human beings and we all have trials and tribulations. We all have issues. Anyway, I I don't know, man. All right, let's get off our soapbox and talk about what's coming up on our next episode. Uh, the Incredibles 2 is coming out next week on uh, June 15th. So we are going to go to The Incredibles 1 and talk about that on our next show. So that should be exciting. It's one I can watch with the kids. Yeah, Incredibles 1, the best Fantastic Four movie ever made. Should be a lot of fun. <laughs> really good movie. Um, but, you know, I also saw it. What, when did the first one come out? 2003 or four or something like that? We'll get into it next week. Yeah, we'll find out. It was a while ago, but still still pretty good. Yeah, so, so we'll see. Same bad time, same bad station. Tune in next week, and we will get into The Incredibles. Go ahead and give us a like, a subscribe, um, all those other good social media type thingies. Uh, we would appreciate it. Any feedback you got, um, we are on the anchor.fm, and you can send us a message there, and we would uh, love to respond to any comments that we receive. We will even play it on the show. So how about that? And, uh, Robert, we might do a little bit of Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is available for our Patreon supporters. So if you want to get a piece of that action, check out patreon.com slash readrothbard or actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. And I pass the mic over to you, sir. Yeah, tune in for that. We really appreciate you guys tuning in, listening to the episode. Um, come back next week for hopefully an even better episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll check you next time. Maximum freedom, everyone. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do